Hello and welcome to Slogging It. Another episode of Slogging It. Um, by now, Toby is um, absolutely devastated. We've actually made it to March. And the, the, the quality of guests uh, has been going up and up and up. We're, we've found ourselves in a bit of a dry week. Um, so we've invited one of our great <laughs> friends on. Um, forget the Burnley Lara. We have the Berry Gilchrist. Uh, tonight we welcome to the podcast John Simpson. How are you, boy? Very well, thanks, man. That's a fantastic little welcome. <laughs> yeah, well, considering the amount of abuse I got off air earlier on, I thought I've got I've got to get an early dig in. Um, no, thanks for coming on, mate. It's it's great to see you. Uh, obviously, we see more of each other on the golf course, and and long may that continue. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to hearing uh, hearing your story and about cricket and things that you're going to move on to do. Um, when we when we start, we always ask people about you know their first memories of cricket. You had two. I think your grandfather and your great grandfather were, you know, real prominent figures in in rugby league. Uh, so you can explain a little bit about that. So what what brought you to cricket? Yeah, I think um, you know it sort of started for me. Uh, uh, you know, when my dad, um, you know, my dad was a pretty good cricketer in his own right. But um, you know, I think as a young kid, you're always sort of following your dad around and um you know that's how it sort of started I, i'd just go to the local greek club which was ramsbottom where he was captain of uh and then uh, yeah i just sort of went from there and that kind of you know just became an obsession i just absolutely loved it um you know obviously i was very lucky that i had a a pretty good family as well um you know my grandpa used to come to uh, a lot of the games or pick me up uh, and take me to games and, and bowl at me for hours he used to whack him all over the ground and used to stand there while he you know, well, he'd go and, and fetch it. Um, that's why, he, um, you know, and then same with my mum. My mum would sometimes come and throw throw balls at me and I'd whack it and she'd just be like, nah, I'm not going to get in that. So I'd have to go and get, <laughs> yeah, get it until she come back. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it sort of started really young. You know, sort of I kind of got into it when I was sort of two, three years old, just hitting, um, you know, one of those little signature bats sat on the floor, whacking tennis balls. And my granddad played cricket. Uh, he was at Rochdale as well. Um, so he played a lot of cricket. Um, so... You know, he was a pretty good fine all-around sportsman, having played rugby league, uh, along with, you know, his dad, my great-granddad. So, you know, a lot of my family had all sort of played sport. And, um, you know, that's where it all sort of started for me. It was just, um, you know, because all my family were in sport. You know, for me, it was just, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, and, and cricket just came, kind of came that obsession. Um, you know, but obviously, as you well know, we see more of each other on the golf course where, um, you know, <laughs> I wish I was, um, you know, a little bit better than I am. Um, why why never rugby league for you? I mean, obviously being such a big lad, was it not something that you ever thought you'd go into? Well, hit the nail on the head, haven't you? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure a 65 kilo uh, wiki keeper from Berry was ever going to go down the rugby route, was he? Um, you know, I remember uh, high school. I remember sort of get. Um, you know, we sort of did a bit of rugby. You know, never really my thing. I knew. You know, sort of go and spend a bit of time with my granddad. He'd show me how to pass, how to kick a ball. Um, and, and then sort of finally be like, right, come on, tackle me. And, you know, you're just sort of like, nah, you're all right there. Um, he said, well, <laughs> well, you run at me and I'll show you how to tackle. So I remember sort of in, in the front uh, room at his at his house, you know, I'd be sort of walking through running at him and he'd just deck me. You know, he'd just, he'd just tackle me. He goes, he'd, he'd, he'd grab me around the legs and I'd be on the deck. He goes, that's how you tackle. I'd be like... All right. I was like, and then uh, go, yeah, cheers, cheers for that. And then I'd literally go um, go back to high school, and you'd have, you know, as I said, you know, 60, uh, 60, 60, well, not, you know, at high school, I'd probably been about 50 kilos wet through. And you've got a few few lads who are like 6'2, <laughs> 6'3 running at me. I was like, go on, lads, there's a try line. Not for me. 
I'll be like running, running yeah. at them. I'll be like, oh, I think I'll kick and chase this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's a brutal sport, uh, isn't it? Brutal. I mean, I, I watch a lot of the NRL and rugby still on the TV now. And, you know, what they, those boys put uh, go through, you know, put their bodies on the line is incredible. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's just one of those really, really tough sports. You have to be mad to do it. I mean, you know, and that's coming from me who's a wicketkeeper. For me, it was just a non, non-starter. I didn't fancy it. I was, I was a wimp, essentially. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I much prefer facing blokes trying to hit me in the head <laughs> with a cricket ball. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, you knocked them out of the park, though. I, 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 that, um, that video of you boys trying to—I think we trying to hit old father time. I think you won that challenge, didn't you? It was you, Morgs, uh, Brendan. Was Baz there as well? Brendan McCullough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a few. James Franklin that. had a go. James Fuller was there. And um, yeah, Baz was doing it. Morgs was doing it. But um, the little 65 kilo whippersnapper put them all to shame. <laughs> it's just. A, I never forget the first time you told me that story, like face to face, and just the, like the look on your face of being like that. Knowing you, I mean, the smallest one out of all of them was like, yeah, I, I knocked it past all of them. I just, it's just absolute joy. You were like a six-year-old telling telling the granddad a story no. about what they, you know, the first hundred. It was brilliant. No, exactly. Well, to be fair, it's not really their areas, is it? I mean, McCullum's more sort of mid-wicket, sort of extra cover. Morgs is more mid-wicket, so. Any, I mean, it was trying to clear the pavilion. I, I mean, I hit the roof three times, but um, yeah, it's not not bad. But not bad. Must have a decent bat. Yeah, well, decent bat and big guns. That's what it's all about, you. Do you know that? <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so yeah, not quite, not quite trying to hit farther time, but actually trying to hit it over the pavilion. So um, yeah, I'm not sure. To be honest, I'm not sure I'd be able to hit farther time. Well. It'd be kind of like extra cover point for me. It's not really my shot. Um, you, you must have, did you ever play with your dad in the same team when you were playing cricket as a junior? I actually did. I actually made my debut when I was 10 for Haslingdon. We actually played a game against Churchill. So my dad's actually the last game ever. One of the lads went down. No yeah, way. So one of the lads went down ill and I was there with all my kit. So my grandpa always used to tell me, take your kit with yes. you. You never know when you're going to be needed. You never know. Um, was yeah. I ever needed that day? <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience. I mean, sort of um, sub-professional at the time was actually David Capel, um, you know, which was obviously wow. ex-Northants and uh, nice. England, obviously an ex-Northants coach. So, um, you know, that was a, an amazing experience. Unfortunately, uh, you know, him passing away last year was was very sad. But, um, you know, I got mm. to share, um, you know, the pitch with dad when I was, I was 10 years old against Church uh, in the Lancashire League. I think I finished with about maybe three or four not out. Just sort of staunch blocking it out. Couldn't get it off the square. Few uh, few blokes sort of give me, a f- let me have a few runs here and there. But um, they had a West Indies left arm spinner. I remember like yesterday, uh, a guy called Neil McGarrell kind of played a few games for West Indies. But um, but yeah, no, it was good fun. Um, but you know, especially as a ten year old, sort of going to the ground. I was expecting my grandpa to bowl for a couple of hours at me while I whack him all over the ground. And, <laughs> um, but instead, I ended up playing in the game. So he was highly delighted. Uh, you know, you could sit on the side and have a few beers and instead of um, <laughs> throwing balls at me. <laughs> so, yeah, no. no, no. Yeah, I, I genuinely thought... I genuinely thought then when you said a few blokes let me have a few runs, I thought you were going to say a few blokes let me have nah. it because well, that's that would be so Lancashire. Yeah, well, to be fair, it was like that when um, you know when I did sort of sort of break into the first team fully when I was thirteen. I remember I um, played against uh, East Lancs and they had a bloke called Johan um, Johan Lau. He actually played at Middlesex, and um, 
We yeah. actually played on a wicket. It was actually quick and bouncy. And uh, I came into bat. And uh, having, having watched a few of our blokes, obviously, who were way older than me, sort of um, shit the pants, essentially. Um, you know, I've, I've, gone out, <laughs> I've gone out there and first ball, he's bounced me. And I just looked around and the keeper's like 20 yards back, like taking it above his head. And he just stood at me. Like I was 13 years old and he just stood in my face. And I remember exactly what he said to me, probably unrepeatable, but basically he said, if you don't get out, I'm going to bowl you a beamer and it's going to smash your face in. So as a 13, 14 year old, I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, cheers, Chief. Well, I mean, yeah, it was such a strange thing. But uh, yeah, I, I caught my fair share of abuse. Don't worry about that in the Lancashire League. It always used to be, oh, you'll never be as good as your dad. You know, how are you playing at Langshire? Do you, oh, you know, right, do you get do you get your helmet from the club shop? Oh yeah, cheers for that. We've heard them. We've heard them all. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was uh, you know it was good for, good times. You know, I had um, a pretty good grounding. Um, you know, obviously not going to a private school like uh, a lot of the Middlesex boys. Um, you know, it sort of allowed me to um, go and play sort of club cricket and um, you know sort of broaden my horizon against men, not um, you know schoolboys. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the lads will love that. Um, Eugene, Eugene's brought up a name here, Michael Tracy. Someone, <laughs> someone that had quite a big effect on you as, a, as you were getting up. Yeah, he's uh, a very interesting man, uh, Mick Tracy. He was actually uh, my dad's business lawyer, so uh, probably a story for another time. But um, yeah, he was a, a very, very funny man, Michael. Um, you know, brilliant left arm spinner, um, but a complete pisshead. A bit like you two, to be fair. <laughs> You're talking about Simon. Sorry, and Jonah, right? yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, my, <laughs> mine still just about qualify as seamers. <laughs> I don't think I've been categorised as a as a tweaker just yet. Thank you, John. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, he's an unbelievable left arm spinner. But he had to be pissed to play cricket. I mean, you know, it gets to the extent where um, you know I'd be walk- he he would get to the ground at eleven o'clock, so he could have an hour in the bar before he'd go and warm up. Honestly, you've never seen, and he'd have a tab at every ground. He'd have a tab. He'd know he'd know the, exactly who the barman or head bar steward was, and he'd just have a tab, and he'd just be adding to it all day. You know, so like during the games, if I was at the ground, you'd just see him waving, and I'd be like, look over, and he'd be like, come over. So I'd I'd walk around as I would as a, you know, as a, I'd probably been eight, nine, ten years old at the time, sort of rolling round, and he goes, oh, you wouldn't mind just going to the bar and get me, um, you know, a glass of port or a pint of lager. You know, I'd go to the bar and say, oh, can I have a pint of lager? And they'd be like, absolutely not. And I said, oh, it's for, it's for Mick. And they'd be like, all right, no worries. And I'd carry around a lager and he'd down that. Then it'd be red wine. Then it'd be brandy. Honestly, I've never seen a bloke drink as much during a cricket game in my life. But, like, he, he, he genuinely had to be drunk to play cricket. And, you know, unfortunately, they got the better of him in the, in the long run. Um, but, yeah, no, he was uh, a really interesting character. I remember... Um, I remember a story, sort of, um, whether it's repeatable on here, but I'm going to say it anyway. But um, we were what's it called? I went up to get uh, my cricket bat and ball from my dad's bag. And he came over to me. He said, John, come here. So I sort of waddled across to him. And he goes, just go and ask your mum how a wizard's beard's looking. So as as, as you do, as an 11, 12, <laughs> 11, 12-year-old. It's going to roll downstairs. <laughs> mum, mum's sort of there with four or five of her mates. I was like, mum, Mix just said, asked me to ask how your wizard's beard looking. You know, and naturally all five women have all just started giggling. 
way over my head. I wouldn't have, I honestly had no idea. It wasn't, it wasn't until sort of 14, 15 when he sort of pulled me aside and sort of said, you know what one of them is now, don't you? I was like, not particularly. <laughs> um, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant character. I think, you know, I think ultimately these characters that you sort of, you know, like I was fortunate to come across in the Langshire League and, you know, just through my upbringing around sort of that, um, you know, that era or generation, it's, it's so different to, to playing league cricket now. You know, you just don't get those characters anymore. You know, they, you know I can, there's numerous blokes that I played cricket with that just made me laugh. You know, there's blo- you know, blokes just abusing each other on the field. And, um, you know, it'd be, well, I mean, dad, my, you know, if you had my dad on here, he'd be, tell you, he'd be able to tell you stories for hours about, you know, playing against Shane Warne. Um, you know, uh, there's an ex-captain at Hasenden was a guy called Bob Grimshaw. Hard as nails, five six. Nobody messed with him. They had like Simon O'Donnell, you know, and he he'd literally at slip just be hurling abuse at O'Donnell. So if you know, if you speak to me like that again, I'll I'll chin you from from Aslingdon back to Manchester Airport. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was just the way it was. Um, you know, you, yeah, yeah. it was kind of sink or swim, especially as a young kid. Um, but you know, I, I got to play against some uh, pretty good players. You know, sort of Michael Clark was in the league, Chris Kearns, you know, th- those sort of caliber wow. of players. Um, you know, like I said, that was um, you know it was really really great to sort of um, sort of hone my game and, and challenge myself as a young kid in that environment. Um, but as you know, as uh, I think most people know, in that environment as a young kid, it can be quite daunting because you know a lot of senior players giving you a lot of abuse and. Um, you know, you sort of you're only making your way in your game, the game. And obviously, I was, you know, at the time trying to, I was playing age group cricket for Lancashire in the academy, sort of playing England under 15. So, um, a lot of a lot of the stuff that um, you know, the, the more negative stuff. Um, you know, why why when you're on training on a Tuesday night, oh, you're not good enough to be playing for England under 15s. You know, it can can be quite, um, you know, it can be quite detrimental. But I think. You know, I've, I've been quite good. I've had my dad as a sounding board just to, um, you know, just to rein it all back in and, and, and sort of take ownership of, um, you know, where I wanted to go in and, and what path I wanted to go down. And, you know, at 16, I decided that that was, um, you know, wasn't the right club for me to be at during that period. And I moved over to Ormskirk in the in the Liverpool competition and had two really, really good years there. You know, fantastic people. And, um, you know, as I was sort of transitioning from uh, being on a scholarship at Lancashire to... Um, you know, sort of the 16, what was I, 17, 18 year old um, when, I, when I played over there. Um, you know, Neil Wagner, I had Neil Wagner as pro, which was uh, pretty handy, which he was still oh, as nice. aggressive as he is now. I'm just used to love bouncing blokes. It's <laughs> great to have on your team. But he would sort of say, bowl your bouncer and then bowl at the stumps. But I'm not sure he, he sort of got to that stage at that point. It was just bowl bouncer after bouncer after bouncer, <laughs> which. Yeah, yeah exactly. It still does, um, to be fair. It was great fun, but um, yeah, no, that was um, you know that was uh, you know a great couple of years in my um, in my life. You talk about that upbringing, and it must have done you some good because at, at sixteen you got picked for England under nineteens for a tour of India. How, how was that as a a very young lad to be going away on a on, on like the under nineteens is always seen as like that's it, that's the next step on. That how was how was that as a young lad to do? To do that, but it was a to be honest, year. I reckon I was so naive. I didn't really, I didn't really know what was going. on. I was just like, "Oh, you've been picked on an England under nineteen tour to India, get your preparation done, and um, you know, go down to Loughborough for a couple of weeks, miss a bit of school, which was happy days, <laughs> and then um, you know, crack onto India and see how you get on." I was like, 
fair enough. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, like I said, I was I was pretty naive to everything that was was going on. But um, you know, I knew I could play. Um, but whether at that stage I I thought I was ever <laughs> going to be good enough at sixteen. Um, to be playing in England in the 19s, you know, I, I mean, I played with Joe Denley was in that, Moen Ali, um, who else? I'm just trying to think. Mullaney was on that trip. Tom Smith, who used to play at Lancashire. Um, so he had some pretty um, pretty good players within that sort of uh, squad. But um, I guess as a 16-year-old, you sort of, um, you know, I didn't really have any overseas experience. Well, I, I was never going to have any overseas overseas experience anyway but you know it was, it was great to go over there and test myself uh, against some pr- pretty fine uh, Indian uh, cricketers and uh, yeah we, we, we lost 3-0 in the uh, test series and 5-0 in the, the one day series so that was great. <laughs> was the umpire any, any better just yeah. checking? Um... Probably not probably <laughs> probably not I, I probably can't say too much on this about uh, the standard of umpiring but um to be honest, it's, uh, it's probably yeah, probably yeah. not probably not the best. But um, I mean, it was great. I made my test, you know, under nineteen test debut out there, and then played uh, two ODI um, series um, series two, uh, two ODI games, which was brilliant. Um, you know, sort of. I mean, I made my test debut, and um, you know, you sort of had like Robin Utterpo was playing. You had Pierce Chawla, Manoj Tiwari. Wow. Um, who else was playing? Uh, Ambati mm-hmm. Rayudu. Pajara played one of the games. Coley played one of the games because he was. A... He must have just blocked the shit out of it, though. Right? Well, how's he got an IPL gig, mate? <laughs> Unbelievable. Because I, I, I... he's because the third biggest name in Indian I know. cricket. I mean, if yeah. there's one game that isn't suited to IPL, it's Pajara's. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. probably probably better off not going down that road because uh, we'll probably say some something, something we probably regret. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sorry, Jono Slater, the BCCI, the B- the BCCI, BCCI, on, BCCI on I reckon, have got snipers on, <laughs> after me on the hill in front of my house. Yeah. The amount of grief I give them. But when we, when I said I was in Taunton, <laughs> like, uh, I, I'm not here for work, I'm here in hiding. Because <laughs> we live around the corner. That's right, no member of the BCCI, no member of the BCCI is going to come to The dark Taunton underworld's coming for you. During the pandemic. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, my, my test debut time. after this, I think they ended up getting about 650 for three and bowled us out twice. And that was that. So after representing Lanks, Durham and Not Twos um, in, in the age group stuff, you, you signed your first professional contract um, for Middlesex in 2008. You know, what's the sort of thought process when you sign your first professional contract? How does that, how does it work? What was the conversation that happened with Middlesex? And you've been at the club ever since. So, so obviously it was a, you know, it was a good decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess usually it was a, a strange one is because obviously um, I come from being at Lancashire where I was essentially a full-time pro, even though I was a junior contracted pro. Um, so I'd been training with all, you know, at Lancashire at the time, obviously our current head coach was the overseas player, Stuart Law, Carl Hooper, Flintoff, Anderson, Chapel, Hegg. Uh, you know, he had some huge names, you know, to sort of Dominic Cork, <laughs> oh, Saj Mahmood, you know, all these guys I was training with as a 16, 17, 18 year old. So, um, you know, I, I'd had a, a really good grounding and experience of, of, of being around those guys and being able to pick those guys' brains. So obviously, um, you know, when I went on the under 19s tour, the, I guess there was an expectation from my end that I'd, I'd be given a full time contract, but, you know, that never really materialized. So, um, you know, it was just a case of, um, you know, just trying to work as hard as I can. And every opportunity was just trying to, um, you know, impress and 
and, and try and transfer from that junior contract to a full-time contract. But, um, you know, that wasn't to be and, and, and ended up going on loan for, you know, five weeks to Durham, which was great. Obviously mix it with, um, you know, I mean, I played alongside Stokes quite a few times in the, in the second team, which, you know, see, he'd already had, he, he kind of saw he had this raw ability that was going to be something special. Um, but he, you know, he was, he was just as hot headed then as he, as he is now. Um, and then, uh, you know, Knotts was, were the same, you know, they asked if I could go down there for four or five games with a view to potentially signing me. But, um, you know, that, you know, it's a great experience and it was great to be playing some cricket because at the time I wasn't even getting picked in the Lancashire second team because that's how strong they were. Um, but still I thought, you know, as a, a young cricketer, you know, especially playing England in 19 cricket, it, it almost sort of warranted a place in the team, but, um, you know, that wasn't to be. Um, so that kind of got me down a little bit. But, you know, the opportunity to go and play at Durham and then obviously not in the twos was, was great because obviously I, I went away and played some cricket. Um, you know, and, and then obviously that period I uh, was with Knotts, obviously sort of that coincided with when Knotts essentially signed Alex Hales. He, he'd gone, I think he went like 180, 180, 200, you know, and, and that was that. Um, so, you know, I thought there was, uh, you know, a good opportunity there, obviously. It had been pretty tough to uh, to break into that team because obviously he'd had the legend that is Chris Reid, and um, so being understudy there would have been uh, pretty <laughs> tough. But you know it'd been great to to have that experience and work alongside somebody like that. Um, you know the next, the next stepping stone in my career. But uh, you know they, they wanted to sign me not, but unfortunately they signed Stuart Broad instead. Uh, and, and <laughs> so uh, 150, 160, 60 grand in his pocket meant that I. Uh, <laughs> had to look at other opportunities and, and obviously, you know, that um, junior contract ended with Lancashire. Uh, they didn't want to sign me because they thought that Luke's obviously had Luke Sutton at the time and Gareth Cross. They didn't see me breaking into that. So, you know, it's kind of left in a little bit of limbo at 18. So, you know, you sort of, it either goes one or two ways, doesn't it? You either sort of think, am I good enough? You start questioning whether you're good enough or you get out there and, do something different and, and dad was you know like i said at the start i've been pretty fortunate i've got a very supportive family even though my mum's more of a pessimist mm-hmm. get your education done blah 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 my dad's more of the optimist you only get one chance at doing something you love go and have a crack at it and you know he said well you're 18 now when do you fancy going out to australia for winter and you know i jumped to the chance i mean it was pretty daunting as an 18 year old kid going out there but um you know, it gave me an unbelievable experience to sort of essentially go and play, go and live on, um, you know, with a family, grow up, um, different lifestyle, work at my game, work at me as a human being. Uh, and, and basically came back a completely different player, completely different person as well. I'd, I'd grown up, I'd taken in those experiences that I'd had previously and, uh, you know, try to put them into good use. And, you know, you sort of, as I said, uh, playing England under 19s, you're almost at that time almost you thought guaranteed you a contract anywhere but it didn't you know writing round and speaking to different um county coaches and things like that they were happy to take me on trial but they didn't want to take me on as a contract so that suggestion was gone the young cricketers so he spoke to clive radley um who made an exception and rad said come on the young cricketers it's going to give you you know 18 opportunities you know to look at you know 18 counties to give you know put yourself in that shop window and just remember sort of starting off really well. Um, I found it really difficult at the time because I come from a professional background to then an amateur background and just the way that um, the YCs were, they were all aspiring professional cricketers, but living in a hostel and um, the bar is only a stone's throw away. 
kind of presented a few challenges <laughs> as as Rob. <laughs> but and, what a hostel that is! And as Rob knows, he presented a few challenges. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so um, you know, trying to be as professional as you can while you had all these dancers knocking around and hardly anything on and wanting to get drunk and do a few other bits and pieces. But um, you know, it, it was challenging at the time, so it was quite. Um, <laughs> you know, with all the distractions. But for me, I knew what I wanted, and that was to play professional cricket. Um, you know, and that meant getting up earlier than the rest of the boys, doing my gym session, hitting balls before the other blokes had even got into the ground. Um, you know, doing the right things, but still having a little bit of fun on the on the, uh, on the the side. But, um, but yeah, like I said, it's, um, you know, give me a, a real good grounding um, just to put everything back into perspective. And, you know, when Middlesex sort of said, oh, we want to take you on trial for a couple of games, you know, it was a fantastic opportunity for me. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I was, I was, I was, I was very fortunate that I did well in that game and signed a two-year contract at Middlesex. And, um, you know, it's been, um, you know, it's been a special place ever since that, you know. So that's been, uh, it's been like I said, it's been challenging, but, um, you know, I wouldn't swap it for the world. It's because, uh, you know, the, the reward has been amazing. I've been talking to a couple of guys when you talk about the YCs, there's a couple of lads I'm friends with at Knotts and around various different counties. And the YC gets kind of a mixed, obviously it's very different. I, I was on it till 2007, I think, yeah. was it 2008? Yeah, so it's obviously very different then. There's no Rads, there's now various different coaches. But do you think it's a good, it's a good thing for a young pro or potential young pro to go on who's maybe missed out on an academy or a county contract do you think because like you said there it gives you 18 opportunities against against guys that aren't normally seeing you so do you think that's a good thing and it's it needs to be maintained? Oh, no doubt no doubt as, as i sort of uh, touched upon um you know it gives you 18 opportunities um against every county so you put yourself in a shop window and prove that you're better than what the other counties have on their staff um you know the my outlook on it um is it was amateurish there's no doubt about that um even though we were, they're all you know even i at the time was aspiring to be a professional cricketer again but the way um you know the structure and the training was so different to what i'd seen you know when you get the opportunity um you know looking back at lancashire i was spoiled um you know the opportunity to train and, and watch Stuart law carl hooper go about their business you know i had the opportunity to you know face uh, matai muralitharan obviously overseas and gary keady uh, to keep and, and um, you know, bat against those guys and, you know, like Saj Mahmood, Dominic Cork, Glenn Chappell, you know, so you sort of had, I'd had those experiences before, which none of the other guys had really had, or, you know, they'd had very, very limited experience of it. But my issue was the why, with the YCs was, it was a little bit of mollycoddling. It was just kind of scratching the surface of what these young aspiring cricketers were trying to do. What I see now is completely different to when Rad and, um, you know, Mark Wright were in charge, uh, you know, and I got on really unbelievably well with Rad and, and Wrighty because I used, I wanted to use it as a stepping stone. And the way that I wanted to use it is I had this mm. wonderful facility being Lords that I could use any time I had, mm. the, I could use the gym, I could use the indoor center and I had the nets to use outside. So every opportunity for me, it was about gym, hitting balls, running, doing everything that I'd um, you know, previously been, been doing, but for the guys that hadn't been doing it, it was just your bog standard day, go back to the hostel, you know, and that'd be at two, two thirty in the afternoon. I was like, well, 
can I not do another run? Can I not hit some more balls? Can I not do some more and actually make use of the facilities? Um, but as you said, I think they have a wonderful opportunity. Um, you know, and obviously I've seen obviously Curbs come in, uh, obviously Mark Lane come in, I've seen Curbs come in and I've seen Ajmal come in. And they've sort of almost tried to professionalize it a lot more. Um, and instead of treating them as aspiring cricketers, actually treat them as professionals. Put a, a real sort of emphasis on on their diets, their gym, their, you know, with the help of obviously some of the Middlesex S&Cs and stuff like that. You know, the diet, their gym, the way they go about their training, making use of facilities. What are you doing outside of cricket? Um, you know, what are you doing away from our normal timetable? And I think if it's used like that, it's such a fantastic tool. Because as I said, you've got this unbelievable facility that you have access to 24-7. Mm. Um, you know, yes, there's, you know, it's not glitz and glamour. You have to do, you have to go and put the covers on at Lords, and you have to do your scoring <laughs> course, which, you know, for me was a, a huge incentive to get off the YCs, having to do that scoring course. You know, sat through that for two hours. <laughs> that's what. My that's one God, of the first ones they put you two on. Two hours as well. of learning to score yeah. was torture. Absolute torture. I, th- I swear they did that. They did that to try and push you to go. This is not what Definitely. I want to do. They because I could, when I when I joined my first year was two thousand five, and like that was we did the first four weeks of preseason, which was Owen Dawkins was the assistant coach at the time, and it was mental. So he was the most organised man alive. But then first week of the season, you're like thinking, right, we've got our first game on April the fifth or whatever it is against. Middlesex, Surrey or Sussex normally. That was who you played first game of the season. But then the week before, rather than prepping for the game, they've got you on a scorer's course. And you're like going, hey, a minute, what, what's going off? I can see Jono, I can but, see Jono being the club scorer. Yeah, he's just that, oh, he's just that type of character. Right, I, I thought it was all going too well. I thought he hadn't given me enough for a while. Like, you know, half an hour we've got through without him giving me any uh, chirp. And then there it is. But uh, um, on it, anyway, exactly. Honestly, that was um, torture. Torture. Yeah, it's horrible. It is yeah, horrible. It was, I can under, I can understand. And I can understand fit. why you two didn't really see eye to eye with it because you need a brain, didn't you, to score? <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, Stop. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen some of the people that score oh, at first class Stop. games? That sit and come around. Very much needed, so don't say anything bad about them. You should talk to Jono. You should talk about Jono like that. <laughs> this, um, honestly, like it was torture. But then, you know, the the actual pushing, you know, getting the hover covers and bringing the sheets on at test matches and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. You'll, you'll obviously watch some of the test matches. You see some of the YCs asleep by the sheets. I mean, that was generally what it was. You know, you watch a bit of the cricket. Push the covers on. What's it like to go to to have Lords as your place of work? I mean, to walk through the Grace Gates every day, to have that home dressing room as you know something that almost does it ever become normal? Like, do you ever forget the the magic that you're surrounded by? I don't think you do. Um, you know, I still get goosebumps going into the place now. Um, I mean, it's such a unbelievable place to play cricket. Um, you know, we're all all the all the greatest. Uh, you know, have, have walked out at some stage in their career. Um, you know, it's just, um, like you say, that, that walk or that drive into the Grace Gate, um, you know, and the special, um, you know, the special walk through the long room up to the changing rooms or down uh, or down through the, the, you know, the main pavilion. It's, um, it, it truly is a wonderful, wonderful place. And, um, you know, I don't think you can ever sort of be, uh, become comfortable with it because, 
once you walk onto that onto that pitch, it's it's such a, a massive stadium that um, you know you have to be switched on. I think you know as you see in test matches when um, you know when it's it's full, it's, it it really is a special place and can be quite overawing mm. at times. But um, you know when uh, when I walk out, it's usually against uh, one of the counties and one man and his dogs sort of watching. Go and get rid of get get rid of Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> get him out never. yeah exactly scoring again um but no you don't, you never get used to it um i, I still think uh, i still think to the day i um you know leave middlesex or uh, or retire hopefully from finishing my career at the club um you know i still think uh, you know it'll hold a special a very special place uh in, in my heart sort of um you know i've had some um, very very special memories there and um you know, it's 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 one of those places where it makes your uh, you know the hair on the back of your neck stand up, especially uh, when you played some of the twenty twenty games in front of a packed house. It's, mm. it's such a uh, a fabulous and unique atmosphere. It's not as rough and ready as the Oval. It has this really sort of it has that charm, doesn't it? It has that charm that the Oval just can't compete with. Um, but there's just so different, uh, such a different place. And uh, you know, it's sort of when you look at some of the other grounds you're going to play at, like for example, Chelmsford, where you've got twelve, thirteen year old kids abusing you. You know, Simpson, you're shit, and I go, yeah, you're right, and you can't really say anything. And you can't really say anything back to him, can you? Um, you know, it's not like you could just turn around and say, yeah. oh, <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, <I> was... <laughs> good job, I stopped. Yeah, probably that's not good job, I stopped, that, and I that, did. That first scene out of. Yeah, that first scene, first scene out of uh, Ricky Gervais, the afterlife, yeah, when, he, yeah. when he walks up to the school. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the no, line I was on about, Johnny, but yeah, I see what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's such a, uh, like I said, it's such a unique and wonderful place to play. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, um, you know, Hopefully, I'll have some uh, special memories uh, once we finish this season in 2021 because it's been a, a pretty tr- uh, rough 2020 for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that leads us on quite nicely. I mean, obviously, we, we're having a great laugh and you, you're a mate to the three of us any, outside of this. But to go on to, you know, obviously, we, we look to deal with mental health on the, the podcast and what have you. Um, have you seen any kind of changes towards the attitude of mental health in sport and cricket, specifically during you know, your professional career, how have you coped over the last year, which has been incredibly tough? Uh, you know, how has the squad dealt with it? Have you come together to support each other? Has the club been really supportive? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a such a huge topic. Um, you know, obviously, listening to Robbo's story, um, you know, when you sort of first started, was it sort of really hits home. Um, you know, not only from the, the neglect that, um, you know, we I think that we as a society have towards it, but I think a little bit of the blaseness um, about the issue, and, and and actually having those honest and open conversations about it, you know, because I think it's very difficult to sort of admit when you're struggling. Nobody will ever admit yeah. when they're struggling. You know, I'm I'm the same. I mean, I was chatting to Eugene a little bit before, and we were just talking about it. And um, you know, my, my mother actually had obviously postnatal depression, so when my brother was born, um, you know, for two, two three months afterwards. She just didn't want to get out of bed, didn't want to do anything. And it kind of got to a point where, you know, and I've had this conversation with her and, she, you know, we've spoken openly about it um, because I think more needs to be done on it. And I think the PCA and, you know, the ECB are really throwing a lot of weight behind it, which is great. But, um, you know, it got to a stage where she was in a, in a right state and, uh, you know, she, she was literally on the dual carriageway, ready to throw herself in front of a car. And, 
you know, hearing that from your mum is pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, but she sort of said, you know, what it was just something that had just triggered her in her head and said, if I do this, I leave my husband behind and I leave two kids. How are they going to cope? And, you know, you have that reverse effect. And it was something really, really powerful. And, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum is my dad, who, you know, I think it's just that generation. They, he doesn't believe in depression or mental health. He just thinks mm. you're feeling sorry for yourself. Get up, get on with it. Get on and with it's, it, it's, you know, like I said, like with mum's mum's been through her struggle and obviously come out the other end. And dad's, a, you know, a polar opposite. He'd never admit if he was struggling because, you know, he's a northerner. Well, you know, we have this hard exterior, you know, you play, you know, you've played mm. high level sport. You don't show weakness. And, and that's how it's always been. And I think it's very difficult for when you have this exterior that everybody looks at you and thinks he was a hard man. He doesn't show much emotion. And actually being able to open that and break down those barriers is actually really, really powerful because, you know, I don't think it's done enough and uh, there's never enough support. I don't think about it because it's just this mm. phenomenon that people just think, oh, mental health, depression, you know, they just need to snap out of it and, and go back and, you know, just crack on with life. But, you know, I mean, as I was saying earlier, I mean, I've had, I've been through some pretty rough periods in, in my career. You know, I've never suffered with mental health and, you know, touch wood, I, I, I haven't. But I've, I've been around changing rooms where, where guys have. I've seen guys um, really, really struggle, you know, with their performances and it, how it eats them up. It eats you, you know, alive inside. And I was, I was the same. I mean, you know, 2020 has been such a tough year for everyone. I mean, I, I live on my own. So, you know, that's been challenging, you know, not to climb up the walls and you know just trying to keep myself busy and occupied and, and that's where my you know my uni degrees come in really um, really well um you know to keep me busy obviously setting up how's that golf um you know it's giving me a real insight into a few other bits and pieces and that's kept you know kept me going and kept me active for when and as and when sort of the season's gonna was gonna start last year but also when we were going to get back into training um but i don't think there's ever enough support um you know in, in mental health and, and and around depression i think it's it's one of those topics we need to be more open not only as individuals but as a uh, you know as a society um because you know i think there's so much more um we can we can delve into and uh, and really start to open and challenge theories um i mean obviously earlier we spoke about my granddad like my granddad you know unfortunately passed away with dementia so um, you know, through rugby, that's obviously had to have a huge impact. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of these issues, you know, all stem from, you know, mental health, depression. And, and as I said, we're just trying to really open up the conversation where people can express themselves openly and honestly without being judged. Because, you know, we all we're all having a chat here as mates. But once once we all go and we're all at home behind these four walls, nobody truly, really knows what's going on inside our inside yeah, our heads yeah. how um obviously i i grew up in a you know up in the northwest same as you and and kind of used to you know blokes being blokes like that's that's very you know outwardly the message isn't it you're quite strong it's quite tough and you don't really accept or admit that anything's troubling you interesting when you talk about your mum there and obviously your dad being such the other way in, in as most blokes from the northwest where it rains a lot <laughs> and life is thought of as being quite tough how did how did your dad go about dealing with what your mum was going through? Because that must have, for him, been something that, you know, it's someone who he's ultimately the closest to in his life other than his two boys. 
to see his wife, and he's and he would have been battling with himself, thinking, well, I don't, re- you know, is this real? Is it not real? Like, how did he go around supporting your mum through what must, you know, a terribly difficult time for her? It's such a great question, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you know, you, we all think we're strong, we're, um, you know, we've got this strong will, don't we, to succeed in whatever we do in life. But you know, when some when someone close, um, you know, looks at taking their own life it's it's such a shock and it's it's trying to get that balance but um between understanding what they're going through and also trying to put what your beliefs are because we'll never truly know what's going through someone's head because we're all we're all different we all have different thoughts and mindsets um so yeah i mean when when mum was telling me this i mean my natural instinct was to just give her a hug because it's my mother and I'd never want, you never want to see your mum mm. going through uh, or any yeah. family member or close friend uh, going through these struggles. Um, and I guess from my dad, he's still quite blase. He, he gets depression and, you know, the, um, the difficulties of, of sports performance, but the actual anxiety of depression and, and, and mental health, mm. it's just a, such a Northern thing is everything's dull as you said everything's dull it's rain and it's miserable um just crack on with life we just get on with it mm-hmm. and he's not yeah. he's not an emotional character so i can imagine when uh, mum told him that it hit him like a ton of bricks but you know it's not really something i've really delved yeah. deeply into i think that'd be something yeah. later you know to have that conversation but because i think it's, it's it's quite a difficult conversation but i think it's you know especially difficult when it's you know it's your mum and dad it's your parents uh, and to really open that conversation up my dad's not really that type of character but you know if mum when mum told him i you know god knows what thoughts would have gone through his head like why you know i don't understand you know it's all these questions Mm. that he doesn't know the answer to i don't know the answer to you know robbo You'll have, you, you've got more experience than a lot of us in this um, subject and you'll know exactly the feelings. But, you know, as I said, I've, I've, I've been lucky that, that I've never had, you know, any of these, these issues. But, uh, you know, I think, like I said, as a society, we, we need to start being more open and, and, and honest and talk about things like this. Uh, talking of people who love and uh, will continue to um, support people through all sorts of issues, uh, a charity that are obviously our uh, charity partners, uh, the Lord's Tavern, is some, uh, a charity that John's incredibly close to as well and does a huge amount of work for. Uh, next, you'll hear a quick note from the Lord's Taverners. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. Thanks to the Lord's Taverners for their support. If you'd like to support them, please text TAVS11 to 70331 
And please make sure you have over 16 and have the build players permission. John, you've, you've mentioned about the fact that you know some guys that have uh, potentially had a few issues and you talk about how, you, how you, your dad dealt with things, deals with things very differently. Um, I've got a, it's not in the script, but I've got an interesting. Do you reckon that cricket, because cricket's renowned as having one of the worst cases of mental health issues out of any other professional sport, but do you think that due to the nature of the contracts and stuff, with it being such a short you don't get anyone in cricket, or most people in cricket don't get like a five-year deal or an eight-year deal. It tends to be a two-year rolling thing. Do you think that, and the all-or-nothing nature of that contract, once you're out of a county, that's it, you're done. Like It's done. Do you think that leads to some of the issues that we see? Oh, there's no doubt. Um, you know, I mean, there's, you know, when you when you play with guys who, you know, I mean, I'm in my final year at the, at the minute and, um, you know, there's no point putting any pressure on myself. Um, you know, it's a case of going out there and, uh, and just trying to perform as best I can do to, to warrant getting another contract. But as you said, the short-term nature of everything, you know, on, on contracts, it's, it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because generally it's two, three-year deals. And, you know, once you, once you had that gone through that first two years and you're going into that final year, you know, you, you, you want to be established so that other counties know uh about you what you can do because if you're not it's very difficult to then a get in the team you're playing for and b another county coming in for you if you're not an established player or somebody um you know the the county's looked at as a potential signing um but i I guess um you know you've really you really got to um trying to sort of put it into words to be honest because it's such a it's such a a difficult one to speak about, but I know cricket has got the worst suicide rate of any other sport, hasn't it? Which is an incredible statistic. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the other ones that the PCA yeah. brought out was the average age of a cricketer retiring is actually 25 years old. And when you put it all into perspective, it's incredible. You know, at 25 to say, that's it, go and find a, a, a different career. You know, because all you've been, you know, as a young kid growing up, we're all aspiring to, to be something, whether it's sport, business, whatever it needs to be. And at 25, to you know, that's the average age of when people finish. And that's an incredible statistic because at 25, you, you almost feel like you're, you're going into your prime, don't you? In, in any role. To then be said, yeah. that's it, go and find something else. It's, it's actually quite daunting. Um, you know, so that's where I think... Um, the PCA and I think the uh, have been brilliant and, and trying to really focus on some personal development and trying to get guys thinking of what they're going to do post-career. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, you know, like I said earlier, I've been um, doing my uni degree. Um, that was just, you know, it's a sports and business degree. It's, it's pretty generic, but it's something that at the end of the day I've got on my CV and I've done and I've passed hopefully as much to the displeasure of Jono. As I can see, as I can see giggling, in, <laughs> as I can see, as I can yeah. see giggling in the corner. Um, I just want to say Play-Doh. I just really want to say Play-Doh. <laughs> it probably is a Play-Doh degree, but it looks good on your CV, though, doesn't it? To say I've got a got a sports and business degree from the University of Hertfordshire. Um, but yeah, it's it's as you said, it you know those those short term contracts and the you know the the average age being such a um, you know, such a low figure, it places a lot of pressure and emphasis on you being successful. And 
that places a lot of emphasis on outcomes and cricket's very much an outcome driven sport you when you're performing you want to get 50s hundreds fivers tenfers if you're not doing that then it's <laughs> it really is a struggle and and that's where you know i guess i've been lucky and this is the first time i've ever been in, in my last year and um you know aside from sort of the last year at langshin a junior contract this is the first time i've been, ever been in the last year of a, a full-time contract so this is different for me um you know at 32 i've i've had a pretty good career and i have a slightly different outlook on it as somebody who would be 21 22 or 23 24 going into their final year um you know people start going on oh, it's a make or break season is it at 24 25 is it a make or break season you're already writing people off at 24 25 and I, I i actually find it incredible but sport is such a you know it's such a cutthroat industry isn't it and um, it is we're always you know we're always striving to be better and um you know we want that security naturally um you know at the end of the day we've got to pay bills rent um you know families mortgages whatever it needs to be and you know that places a lot of other external pressures so you know really trying to um you know give give people as much security and as much confidence and um you know that everything's going to be okay i i think it's, um, it's such a it's such a tough thing to do in sport i don't think enough is done uh, to look after players um you know i'm not saying whether we're not looked after unbelievably well but it's a, such a short career and we're not um you know unless you're playing in the ipl or some of the other the big tournaments i'm not saying i'm not sitting here saying i'm not well paid because you know i'd be lying but i never started or wanted to play this game to be paid i, I started mm, playing this game yeah. because i love playing it and the bonus is that i've been able to do it professionally and be paid for something i love doing um and trying to get that balance again of what i want to do post career it's going to be very difficult because what's going to give me that same adrenaline rush of, of walking out at lords in front of a packed house in a 2020 it's going to be very difficult and i think that's where uh, i think um you know i think the pca are, are great and i think middlesex are, have been brilliant on that they you know they brought edward griffiths in uh, the ex-saracen ceo to help with a lot of the post-career stuff and you know yeah. he's been really diligent at helping people uh, but i think this year especially after the year of 2020 i think it's more uh, prevalent that we we get behind people and and, and really help them um, with what they want to do a with what they want to do next but also um in trying to make 2021 or you know their careers be successful and i think you know not enough done on that as you said because you know naturally it's such a cutthroat industry isn't it like all professional sport you know i mean this is i mean this might sound a little bit disrespectful but the guy at tesco stacking shelves knows he's going to be on a contract for as long as he wants it mm. and that's a mm. very different outlook to to playing professional sport where who knows how long you're going to be in, involved in the game and that's where you know that's why i sound yeah. very lucky that i've you know had you know essentially 16 unbelievable years um you know playing professionally and obviously 12 fantastic years at middlesex so you know i count myself very blessed to be in a, a privileged position that i'm in and you know you can't take that for granted okay. i've got just a couple of quick follow-up questions um firstly if if you, I know obviously you've done your, your play degree recently, <laughs> but uh, nailed it, got it in there, yes. Um, but you know, you, you talk about that age of twenty five. Like, firstly, what would you, if you were in that position, what do you think you would have done? And then, secondly, 
I mean, you're a, you're a fan favourite, you're a club favourite at Lords. You know, you've had an incredible career there. Do you think that? Um, I certainly would have expected you to have had an extension on your contract by now. Do you think that because of the truncated last year and the difficulties that 2020 brought everybody, that that's why you've not signed an extension to your current deal, or do you think that's paid a played a part in it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's not a no, no, question, I, I, by no, the way. I, I, I mean, agree. I mean. Genuine. 2020 has had it's had a huge toll on every company, every cricket club, uh, you know, every company, um, however you, whatever business you're in. So, um, you know, obviously the furlough scheme, the government has been absolutely brilliant and, and trying to retain as many jobs as we you know, possibly can. And, you know, it's obviously cricket has taken advantage of that. But, you know, without crowds, without spectators in grounds, where's the money coming from? You know, sponsors are now looking at, well, are we getting value for money? It becomes a completely different question, doesn't it? Um, and and that's yeah. you know, and that's the difficulty of it. But um, you know, obviously, I, I I want to finish my career at Middlesex and um, you know sign an extension. But ultimately, that's going to be down to to me and my performances this season. Um, you know, that is the be all and end all. It's a performance business, and I and I know that. But you know, like as I said, I I've had, got enough experience now and I've played enough cricket not to put as too much pressure on myself. You know, the first four weeks of the season could could go pretty bad. But, you know, we know how you know, the county season works. It's such a long, truncated season. And so you can cash in, you know, in that middle to back end period. So, you know, I, th I think it's it's just taking game by game and, and year by year. But, um, you know, just really trying to focus on, um, you know, trying to make it successful by removing those pressures. But, you know, when you look back at mm. 25, if you'd have said to me, you see your career's done what would you do i'll be brutally honest i have no no idea because all i've ever mm. wanted to do was play sport at some uh, uh, of some degree whether it was cricket whether it was golf obviously i wasn't good enough um rugby rugby i was ne <laughs> rugby league i was never going down that route but um you know i played a little bit of lacrosse with dad but you know i'd always wanted to play sport and um you know when that's taken away from you that's stripping back a huge part of, of my character, my journey and who I am. So trying to find something at 25, I'd have no idea what I want to do. And I think that's where the PCA have, have been brilliant. And Middlesex have also been brilliant with some of the younger lags and actually trying to find out what they actually want to do. You know, it might not be what they want to do, but trying to find out what they like doing, what their hobbies are, give them opportunities yeah. to do some work experience. Um, but as I said, you know, for me, obviously, setting up how's that golf was was something that was born out of lockdown. Um, you know, I just wanted to to do something, just have something that I could have going post career. Um, you know, it might not be something that I go into full time, but it'd be something that is there, running in the background that I'm, you know that I'm working alongside, and obviously, um, you know, trying to raise a lot of money as much as I can for the Lord's Tavern as being an ambassador and on the cricket committee. It's something that's obviously close to my heart, so. Um, you know, it's 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 a difficult one because I still don't really know what I want to do post career. But you know, what what's going to happen is these winters are going to give me opportunities to to really explore different relationships that I have with um, with with other people and, and and understanding what the real world is about. You know, whether that's going into events, whether that's going into insurance, whether that's going into you know some form of accountancy. You know, you know actually trying to use my play doh degree. <laughs> So, Simon, I don't think you're going to be anywhere close to retiring. And hopefully, if Stewie's listening to this, um, he, he, he gets on it uh, straight away. But more importantly, you signed 
a contract for a new competition that's starting this year, that being the hundred. What was your thoughts when you when you when you were told that you were um, going to be playing in the in the competition? Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of funny, isn't it? Obviously, that should have happened last year, but um, I was actually in Cape Town at the time. I was actually out there for David Milan's wedding um, when uh, the auction for the obviously for twenty twenty um, was the hundred was going on, and um, obviously I didn't. I, I think I was in Caprice at the time, funnily enough, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We like it. And uh, I just remember getting back to the hotel, and um, my phone was just going bonkers. I was like, "What's going on here?" I was like, probably couldn't even see what was going on, and it was just like, "Congratulations, congratulations, well done." I was like, "What's everyone congratulating?" It was David who got married, not me, unless I've done something completely, completely (laughs) daft. And then I realised it was the auction, and obviously, I'd obviously been picked up by the Northern Superchargers, so you obviously. Um, you know, pretty chuffed um, to be involved in the first edition of that, but obviously equally disappointing that it, it didn't go ahead last year. Um, but obviously looking forward to, um, you know, 2021. I mean, we obviously got a, a pretty good squad and um, obviously to be retained was, um, you know, another little sort of coup. So, um, you know, obviously over the moon for, you know, being retained. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. It's obviously an opportunity. We're going to be my first real franchise um, opportunity. Um, so, you know, you're going to get the opportunity to play against some of the best players in the world, um, which is going to be Stephen and Finney, uh, of course, <laughs> um, for the Manchester Originals. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be great, and I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. To, um, you know, to challenge myself against these guys, and you know, obviously being able to pick the brain. Obviously, the coach of the Superchargers is Darren Lehman, who is a pretty good left-hander in his own right. So being able to pick his brains, and then uh, you know, we've got Chris Lynn and uh, Aaron Finch who's overseas along with Majib, and you know, we've got a pretty good squad I'd, I'd say uh, I don't think it'll be one of the favourites I think we'll, you know we'll definitely look at one of the underdogs but obviously you know I'm very excited to um, you know see what um, you know what the tournament's about and oh. challenge myself against oh. the best It's funny you say Simo that you're going to be a um, probably one of the underdogs I've heard uh, rumours on the grapevine of a, um, a sandpaper sponsorship from B&Q um, so maybe maybe you won't be such underdogs after all <laughs> You got the wrong team, mate. You can cut that. You got out, the but... wrong team. I was going to say, yeah. <coughs> Darren Lehman. He didn't oh, put sandpaper on the wall. Okay, did he? Uh, well, it was just those. It was just the bowlers yeah. that apparently didn't know anything no, about no. it that confused me. Because I used to, as a bowler, I used to know whether someone had like looked at the wrong side of it. Never mind, done anything to it. But apparently, those I think I think uh, I think Lehman's anyway. more of a cheese grater man instead of the sandpaper. <laughs> Brilliant. And, he, and when you say cheese grater, he likes cheese because yeah. he's. A... <laughs> it might be. Uh, it might get one a bit of cheese grater on my uh, gloves just to give it a bit of a, yeah. a bit of a shine and rub. <laughs> the the one thing the one thing that I think is really interesting about that side that you're in, Simo, is I think your name's going to be the first one on the sheet because you're the only keeper in there, right? Yeah, I am at the minute. So um, you know, that, I guess. It was pretty surprising from my my point of view, but obviously, um, you know, great for me. Um, you know, being the only only keeper that uh, has been picked up. So, yeah, no, it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. And uh, as I said, I'm I'm really looking forward to sort of mixing with some of these guys. I'm looking forward to sharing a beer with Lehman. I'm sure uh, I'm sure they have some uh, pretty good stories. Um, you know, be able to sort of <laughs> yeah, I'll be able to talk to him about Sandpaper Gate and. Um, a few other bits and pieces, so I'll get the I'll get the lowdown. I'll get is the lowdown. That, is that genuinely you, something? 
is that something because obviously you know everything that happened with that every everybody knows about it like you know as mental health you know he's it'd be really interesting i think i don't know whether he's ever done a really open interview about it i presume he must have but i've not seen anything but is that something that you would ever try and chat to him about like how he dealt with that or how did the players deal with it is a way of you trying to figure out about mental health in the game and how other pros and you know some of the best players in the world in steve smith certainly that went about dealing with that process that they had to go through yeah, look, it's a, I guess it's a pretty uh, difficult conversation to have with somebody you don't really know, isn't it? Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't suggest um, it straight yeah, off the bat. I was thinking more when you got to know him for a few weeks. <laughs> oh, <it laughs> does. What about sandpaper? Come on, here's a pint of Stella. Talk to me about sandpaper, game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I guess it'd be you know it'd be really interesting to really open that conversation up and and see what his views are and thoughts are because obviously he'd have you know would he have known? Would he have known? It's it's such a difficult one because obviously Warner yeah. said that you know he'd spoken to Bancroft about doing it and and then sort of said, told Smith out there. Would Lehman have known? Would they have kept that from him? So yeah, it, it'd be quite an interesting uh, point. And then obviously him after the end of that series um, walking away from the coach of Australia um, to focus obviously on himself because he felt he didn't let the country down. So, you know, and obviously the way that those three guys have gone away and dealt with it, because obviously I know Bancroft went away and, and found yoga, didn't he? Become a yogi and um, looked at different ways of keeping himself occupied. Steve Smith, you know, and, and Warner become, you know, it was more... Invested in the mattress. Yeah. Machine, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looked at, di explored different oppor uh, opportunities to Bancroft. But uh, yeah, it'd be an interesting conversation to have with him um, in and around how that affected not only him, his family, his reputation, his mental health, um, you know, because obviously there was bullets being fired from left, right and centre. And, you know, it's all well and good to keep firing the bullets. But at the end of the day, there's just a human being there who's made on, on the other end. He's yeah, made a mistake. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mike Adderton. Yeah. He got done for match fixing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or match fixing yeah. or sandpaper. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, ball tampering. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's been numerous yeah. cases of it, but nothing's been as uh, stringent or exploited um as much as obviously what went on with Liam and Smith Warner and Bancroft you know the, the year ban was yeah, yeah. you know 18 month ban was 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 pretty penal uh, compared to some of the yeah, other that people was a cricket that, Australia decision though wasn't it rather than an ICC decision that, yeah. I think they, they got a one match ban from the ICC, ICC but cricket Australia really just went no nah, nah, yeah. like it was a real outward show of um i guess strength and like no we're not accepting this you know and and probably harsh in fairness you know some would say i know they've copped a load of flat from the english fans ever since but um yeah but a pretty tough sentence handed out by their own you know effectively what would it be our ecb yeah well, there's, there's no doubt that it was it was over the top for what they'd done um you know but it, it didn't really help everyone on you know i mean theresa may was even having a crack wasn't she on twitter saying it's unacceptable i mean you know like when 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 politicians are getting involved it, it really has you know, lost, lost its sense of person. Yeah, well, it's, I mean that purpose has it? it's completely gone. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it was so extreme. Um, you know, as, as I said, um, you know, for for ball tampering. But what can you do? You know, they they set the precedent. And you know, to be fair to Cricket Australia, they they did came out come out and say, you know, that's completely against our ethics, our culture, what we are about as a as a as a nation and a cricket board, and and sort of almost set the precedent there and then so that anybody else 
knows that's the penalty see what stra- sanctions were handed out from now on Ex- if, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. once yeah. you set up precedent everybody knows it's there in black and white isn't it um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it makes you sort of think um, going twice. Go back, back to Red Bull. Um, 2016, amazing year. What a final day as well like, of, the, of the county championship season when you went on to win it. What, what was it like to win a county championship? Because I think, other than test cricket, for, for first-class cricketers in England, that is the be-all and end-all, you'd think, you know, is the one under test cricket. Um, and then what? talk to us a little bit about the after-party. Um, that must have been... You know, throwing beers around the <laughs> Lord's home dressing room, and then into the cricks, and then wherever else, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty pretty incredible day. Um, you know, sort of, I think that whole season was was pretty incredible. I mean, sort of looking back at twenty sixteen, it's um, you know we we got off to a slowish start, but we you know I think we'd sort of built up from from twenty eleven when we got promoted to from Division Two to Division One. We'd sort of built um, a team and a reputation where, that was. We're a good team. We're hard to beat, and if we didn't get beat, we didn't lose. And we prided ourselves on that. And you know, if we couldn't couldn't win games, we we made sure we didn't lose it. And you know, there's numerous examples of guys pulling us out the out the shit in uh, in, in you know the first innings, and and same in the second innings. And um, you know, we're sort of we're seven games in, and we sort of we I think we were second at the time, and we had a conversation because we, we we were finding it really difficult at Lords. The wicket was really flat. And we find it difficult to get wickets or you know bowl teams out so we sort of had the conversation about how we were going to go about it what did we need to do better and you know we spoke about obviously trying to build as maidens back-to-back maidens um you know really sort of that intensity and energy from the as a fielding group being bang on um you know as a batting group that sort of never say die attitude always believing we can we can win games and you know sort of obviously it's pretty memorable moment down at taunton um, you know, winning off the penultimate ball um, down there. So, you know, that sort of almost set the precedent and gave us that momentum because then we went to Scarborough and we beat Yorkshire um, by an innings there. Then we went to, uh, then we played Durham at Lords and we, we knocked them over. We, we knocked them over. Then we went to Knotts. Um, we chased down 270 on the last day to win. We drew with Lancashire and then it all came down to, to the Yorkshire game. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's such a funny game when you look back at it because, you know, obviously we were behind the eight ball for most of the game. And, you know, Milan and Gubbins obviously both got hundreds in the second innings and, and really put us in a strong position to not dictate the game, but kind of give us a, a slight advantage when it came to negotiations, uh, should I say. So, I mean, I was I was next into bat and, you know, Gail was up there with Franklin while they were chatting in the toilets about what they, you know, we were going to set them and, um, and other bits and pieces and girl was like nah that's fucking ridiculous and Frank is like well take it or leave it mate and then they'd go back out in the field two three more overs ago go by and then they'd come back and he'd have another crack and you know they agreed on what we agreed on and um, you know a few few lob ups which was probably wasn't my finest day you know I think I got thir- I think I got about 35 or of about 10 or 12 balls and I missed <laughs> and just missed one off Alex Lees, the great off spinner that Alex Lees is. <laughs> um, so it wasn't, you know, my finest moment, but, uh, you know, that, that hat trick and, you know, it was just incredible. Um, you know, Toby to finish off yeah. the way he did. And, you know, it was such an incredible day. Um, and to be, uh, you know, playing in front of a decent crowd, it was probably 10, 12,000 people then by the end, which was, you know, which was spectacular, especially for the county championship to go all the way to the last day, last session, you know, left the final five overs of the game, 
was such a great advert for county cricket and uh, you know we you know we sort of you know luckily came out on the right end of that result and yeah it was uh, amazing amazing uh, after party i mean we're all in the changing room with sort of family and friends i mean my my dad came over um, for the first three day uh, for the first three days and unfortunately had to go up north because uh, it was a funeral for a very good family friend of ours um so he was up there watching so obviously they've had the funeral or they're all sort of sat glued to the tv so um you know, it was a pretty special day in, in that respect, but obviously uh, it was nice to celebrate, um, you know, the life of a, a very close family friend of mine as well. Um, but yeah, no, it was um, <laughs> straight up to the changing room, cracked the beers open, you know, family and friends in the in the changing room, which was brilliant. You know, we had Gus and Gat doing shoe bombs. So, we had, so they're basically <laughs> doing... Yeah. I can so imagine they, Gat you know, being quite good. Doing, doing shoe bombs. Out, so Gus was doing a shoe bomb out of um you know which is a jaeger bomb in a shoe out of toby roland jones's um bowling shoes which he just worn you know gat was doing it i think out of nick gubbins is uh batting shoes so yeah i mean it was it was pretty spectacular shove a piece of cheese at the end of it and gat would be all over it he'd get it done in no time he can, he can put air away he that can put food away as well oh. um well, yeah, but, yeah exactly. it was, i mean it was really special really special you know to to get in there and, and have all, like I said, all our family friends and, and legends of Middlesex involved in the changing rooms as well. I, I, actually, I actually lead the team songs. So, you know, I stood on top of all the, you know, the old Lords where all the um, lockers were. I stood on top of there and sang the team song with a trophy, which was, you know, spectacular. I mean, there was probably about 80 people in there, you know, which was brilliant. Um, you know, then we had, a, then we had a few beers with the Yorkshire lads, which were great. And then went down to the tavern and celebrated with the supporters, which, didn't really end too well because, you know, I was behind the bar sort of pouring pints and, and down in pints is sort of, you know, sort of pour the one pint and the next thing is there's chance going around. Have you ever seen Simo down a pint? Not really what you need. Um, so you, you sort of drop one and the next one's coming down and the same song's going again and you're like, oh my God. Um, but, you know, it was great fun. I think I ended up in Coco in my cricket whites at about 4am. Uh, with a few mates of mine, which was, which was quite interesting. But uh, as as me and you spoke about, I think Alex Good took it to the next level, didn't he? So uh, you know, when Middlesex win the championship in 2021, oh. I've got to think of uh, how I'm going to better that. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> um, we've talked to, touched on it a couple of times, very briefly. Um, your new business venture, obviously something that three of us don't know a lot about uh, because we're doing some work with you on it. Um, but talk to us about how's that golf? Yeah, look, uh, as I said, you know, in, in lockdown, it's pretty bored of climbing the four walls and watching TV. And, you know, there's only so much gardening and, and, and moving in, um, a bit of, you know, a knitting I can do. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do post-career? Um, you know, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who's helping me out and, um, you know, he sort of said, well, what are your passions? And I thought, well, cricket and golf are my passions. And he's like, well, why don't we, you know, try and think of something around cricket and golf? He said, well, can we not play golf with cricket scoring? I was like, good point, but how's that going to work? So, um, yeah, so we sort of came up with an algorithm and, um, you know, sort of had a few trial days to, to see what it was like and, you know, how's that was born, how's that golf was born at Sudbury after three trial games and, and then we, um, you know, took it and, and, and made it a, a company. And uh, we had three events last year, which was which was great. And we raised about three and a half grand for the Lord's Taverners. And obviously, you, Eugene and, and yourself, John, have, have played in the events and hopefully had a, a great day. And obviously, 
you know, that was how it was born. And, you know, it was just something uh, that was something positive that was actually born out of lockdown, to be honest. And, you know, it's been quite nice, as I said, to sort of sit in some of the commercials and business side of it, something that I never even envisaged. Um, you know, like I said, it wasn't even a, a thought. Um, but yeah, but, you know, taking a, a company now and, and trying to create events as we are doing, you know, alongside yourselves, um, you know, the Forest of Arden, which is, you know, going to be a, a great event. And hopefully we can raise some really good money for the tabs and along with sort of the um, events and, and the diamond series uh, that we're, that the house at golf are doing throughout the summer and uh, in, in, in trying to raise as much money, uh, as I said, for the tabs, because it's, you know, it's, it's been a tough year for everyone, but it's, it's been a very tough year for charities and every little thing we can do, uh, you know, is, uh, is, is going to be priceless. How would, um, for, so for those people, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people engaging with us for our golf day that we're running with you guys and with the Taverners, uh, but obviously a lot of people who play golf. How would um, how would people look to get involved in that Diamond Series? Can you just explain a little bit around that and where people can find information on it? Yeah, so look, we were just literally finalising uh, the minute, uh, the, the Diamond Series. So we're going to have um, four regional events, which is going to be sort of North, South, Midlands and, and, and sort of... Um, the sort of southwest um so yeah we're sort of piecing all that together and um you know hopefully we're gonna have four fantastic events which are gonna uh, culminate in a final at either the forest of arden or or the belfry um you know which is going to be pretty exciting um you know to to play around two you know two potentially fantastic golf courses um you know and hopefully there'll be a lot of fun things in and around these events but um you know anybody who's interested obviously you know get in touch with me on you know, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, or, um, you know, or go to the uh, How's That Golf website that's now up and running, um, you know, just go on there and, and have a look and browse around. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to create um, some, you know, really cool and interesting events and, and get some really good people involved who, you know, at the end of the day, are, um, are obviously close friends of mine, but also um, people who, you know, want to build a, a family. Um, you know, I want to try and create a, a nice little family where, you know, it, it's been tough for everybody. So, um, you know, any, any, like, I, like we said earlier, um, you know, it's just going to be about trying to raise as much money as we can for the tabs and, and put on some really fun events. You know, that's my, that's my aim and have some good people in and around events that hopefully, um, you know, can, um, you know, do some business um, otherwise, because I think that's, uh, that's also good um, that, you know, guys can also um, meet new acquaintances and, and, you know, hopefully have similar interests uh, in and around, you know, our love, for cricket and golf. So raising money for charity, networking opportunity, and the opportunity to play golf in a brand new, brilliant format. I think you, you know, will both say we both really enjoyed the, the day that we played in yeah. um, last year. So yeah, I mean, absolutely check it out. Uh, we will be using How's That Golf at our Songing It Golf Day on the 1st of July at Forest of Arden, something that we're very much looking forward to. Unfortunately, um, Simo's not going to be around because he'll, he's got a T20 match that day. <laughs> Um, but uh, you will see him at many other of our events, we have no doubt. Um, Simo, thank you so much, mate. Um, you know, to, to come on and be as open about the, your career, and but also them talking about your mum was something that I really didn't expect. And uh, it's amazing that obviously, you know, yourself and the other guests that we've had have, have felt um, comfortable enough with, with you know, three more ones to. <laughs> And, and what we're trying to achieve to, to talk to us about some pretty serious issues. So thanks for opening up, mate. It's, uh, you know, people see a lot of value in that and no doubt be able to, um, 
you know, sympathise with it um, across a number of different levels. So it's been great to great to have you with us, mate. Yeah, cheers, John. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for for having me on and uh, keep up the great work. And um, you know, the more we can open up on on these tough subjects, I think uh, you know that's only going to stand us in better stead moving forward. And uh, as as I said, I'm you know more than more than happy to open up on um, you know some of the stuff that uh, that you guys are doing and. Um, and stuff that you know I've had throughout my career. Um, you know, it's it's just one of those things we need to get better at. Top man. So now's the uh, the the chance for us to take some money off you. Sounds good. Um, Can I take money off you? Yeah. Well, well, no, it's not my turn tonight. <laughs> I don't know. Is it Robbo? Is it is it Eugene's turn? It'll be me. Yeah. It's either me or Huge, but I've got no problem. Going. Right, Robbo. So now Huge doesn't have to put money in again. Lovely. So, so no pressure, Tano, but I could, uh, sorry, same over. I could really do you getting some of these. Right. Right. Five, five, five questions, <laughs> yeah. Tano. Two, two pounds each, um, and then Robbo's going to match your donation. So, um, we'll give you a little bit of leeway, or we would normally give the guests a little bit of leeway, but because you give me so much chirp, <laughs> I'll not give you any. So, I'm, I might be expecting exactly. Look at Robbo's. Well, I presume, I presume um, the money's going to the Lord's Taverners. That's after our volunteer. It's all going to the top. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like our our drinking fund for the. It's not like your slush fund. I'm putting money yeah. into, is it? <laughs> I wish it was. We'd have made a fortune. Well, just come right. Just come uh, round my flat. I've got plenty of alcohol here. That's not drunk. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, yeah, if you've got if you've got offers, which is huge, you're done well because our big smash deliveries have all gone to him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Question one: How many first class fifties and hundreds do you have? Oh, really good question. I've got seven hundreds. Correct. Thirty-two. Yes. Ooh. Add 39. the seven on. Add the seven. Too late. <laughs> yes. Thirty-nine and uh, seven hundreds. Uh, so um, close, but no, no cigar. Uh, that's two pounds. Look at Roppo throwing a strop in Taunton. Um, <laughs> how many career catches <laughs> across? All formats, first class, list A and T20. We would like an exact number. Exact, wow. All right, I'll give you, I'll give you a leeway of 10. A leeway of 10? <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I, if I, it's if better I, than the exact one. Then, if I, I reckon county championship, 490. Uh, that is a Yeah, I, I meant in total, but yeah, get. okay. Yeah, go on. Yeah. 20. List A. We've Sorry, got list, list A. a yeah? List A. It's 490. I know I'm not. Uh, what am I? I'm about six. I'm about 650, aren't I? 653. Oh, come on. Come on. Not far off. That's got to be. That's within 10%. So is that your final answer, 653? No. Because I know it's not six five three. Oi, Robbo, stop it! I'm just trying to work out. It's about four ninety championship. Yeah, down, down, yeah, down about, about five percent. Four ninety championship. I think about. You know what? I've got about a hundred victims in twenty twenty. So that's eighty five seventy. Uh, about six six fifteen. Oh, it's within that, ten. He's got to give him that. It's within ten. Six hundred and twenty-three. It's four eighty-six, eighty-one list yeah. A and fifty-six T twenty. So that's only two. In fact, no. Sorry, when when he said six fifty earlier, Robbo's like this on the screen, <laughs> and then said, "Oh, knock it down by about five percent." 
I think I'm fifth on the all time at the minute for Middlesex in all time victims. Oh, all right. So yeah. There you go. That deserves that deserves that. Okay, that so not having to pay um, two pounds. Uh, Simo, you're in for two quid. Robbo, you're in for six um, because you cheated <laughs> or you tried to cheat. Um, how many? How many? Question three. How many first class deliveries have you faced? 160 matches you had. How many deliveries? Do you really you think faced? I sit on ESPN Crick Info? Some people do, mate. No, that's that's Eugene's job. That's Eugene's job before we interview people. How many first class deliveries? Well, I'm. I'll come up to 7,000 runs, aren't I? I don't, I don't know, mate. Yeah, coming up to 7,000. Yeah, so if I've got a strike rate of 50. Twelve thousand. Oh, fourteen thousand five hundred nine zero. Fucking hell! Shit. So just under a strike rate of fifty. Yeah. Um. So that's four quid for. Sounds like um, I'm putting a lot of money in here, boys. Four quid for Simo, eight quid for Robbo. We're we're doing we're doing really well here. We're, we're getting me on more often. so far. Um. How many deliveries have you let go of in first-class cricket? <laughs> they were two of the worst overs ever. I mean, I thought you'd know this instantly. I bowled six seamers. And you know what? I bowled six yeah. leg spinners, and one of them was a waist-high, you know, was a head-high fully. So that's seven, so I'm presuming it'll be 13. 18. According to you, yeah. We have a different number. Yeah, you bowled 18 balls. Mm. So it says, yeah, 18 like balls. Two overs and a lot of no balls. I can <laughs> yeah. safely say if I bowled 18, it's wrong. Because I bowled a, wa- I bowled a waist, uh, a head high fully, and I got a warning for it. So that'd be, so that'd, so that'd be 19. <laughs> so don't forget that's an extra delivery. Yep. I, I think no. Sorry. Hashtag How many rules. legal deliveries have you bowled in first class cricket? 18, 18, 18. I bowled eighteen <laughs> legal ones. Then. How many wickets? How many? How? <laughs> yeah. How many? How many times did I beat the ban? <laughs> did you really? <laughs> the rest. Yeah. Which, which is one more the than any of the three of us have done in first class cricket. So. Have a laugh about this. I was actually <laughs> sat watching um, an Australia. I think England were playing Australia in an ODI, and Mitchell Stark was on a hat trick. Or well, he might have, might not have been in England. It might be against New, you know, like a tri series. And Stark was on a hat trick, and I was sat there in my keeping gear watching. I thought oh, I'll just pop outside because it would come off for rain. I thought oh, I'll just pop outside, and everyone was on the pitch bar me. And I got and I ran onto the pitch, and Franklin was like, "If you want a bowl, mate." <laughs> Take your pads off. <laughs> it was like, so I literally gave, gave me the ball and bowled the most horrendous seam up. I literally bowled cut, cut, drive, dot ball, cut, drive. <laughs> and then I bowled some, and I thought I'd bowl some leggies. Can't go, can't be any worse. Head high, fully first ball. <laughs> <laughs> one. <laughs> and the uh, umpire's going to me, uh, that's one sim, only one more and you're off. I was like, Phew. That'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Has, has a keeper ever been? <laughs> yeah. Has a keeper ever been uh, <laughs> yeah. done, warned and sent Pulled off for the being attack. attacked? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'd have considered that. I'd have considered trying to bowl a chest eye one just for shits and giggles. Has that ever been done? Uh, finally, Simo, we're going for the full 20 quid here, huge. We're, we're doing pretty well so far because obviously, you know, Robbo's got to pay yep. the extra one yep. when he's cheated. How many runs did those 18 legal deliveries go for? Plenty. Plenty. 23. Ah! Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> 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 I have I got that? That was a guess as well. He's absolutely busted. <laughs> Right, well, eighteen pounds flying its way all to the Lord's Taverners. Um, I can't. What's the split? So I'm on twelve. I was going to say eighteen. You mean sixteen? Uh, sixteen rather. No, it's twelve six. No, it? sixteen. Yeah, because it'd be four quid for the last question, wouldn't it? We're not. We're not here for no. maths. We're here, we're here for. Uh, what degree did you do again? <laughs> played out. I played a degree that I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we met in the canteen. Oh, remember yeah, that, that, that one. <laughs> I, uh, I remember when you came in with your right, pulling books so... and crayons. <laughs> yeah, I was chewing the crayons. <laughs> you still are, aren't you? Hey, oh, there he goes. He, he started like he started with it. He's finished with it. What a perfect way to end. No doubt it'll carry on when we uh, when we're off air in a few <laughs> minutes as well. Uh, but Simo, honestly, mate, it's been a, it's been a great pleasure. I can't wait to. Uh, Hit the fairways with you as soon as we can. The, th- the three of us, it'd be great to get out and uh, play some golf with you. Good luck for this season. No doubt you'll get an extension on your contract. It's something that we're all very hopeful for for you. Uh, good luck in the 100. And, um, yeah, just keep being uh, an absolute beaut, mate. Cheers, boys. Absolute pleasure as always. Cheers, Simo. Cheers, Simo. Looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky with so many options to choose from. How do you make the right choice? When you want quality, value and service, there really is only one place to start. For more than a decade, Woodstock Cricket have been producing award-winning, high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. Matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk.